Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on January the 29th of 2020. I am Nick, here alongside Chris. Chris, what's up? Not much, Nick. Just trying to slowly work our way through this hellscape called existence. Yeah. Yeah, you know? Um, I watched uh, the new Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Okay. It's okay. You know, <laughs> it's kind of self-indulgent. I mean, like a lot of things Kevin Smith does, but mm-hmm. had some good points, you know. Not every fucking week has to be an adventure, you know? Sometimes you just, it was like your big point of the week. You're like, hey, I did this. I watched a thing. Hey, I went up. You know what I did do? I went up to New York because a bunch of us in the card store went up for the magic event that was up there. And uh, our, our like store owner spent some time in New York, lived there for a while. So we went to a couple places he knew. And then we went out drinking at a bar. And I found out Irish car bombs are $15 a pop in fucking New York. So I had one and I was very upset with that. And uh, then we found out it was $150 to try to Uber home. So we had to wait an hour, not drinking at a bar. It was very fun. So you were like, well, New York sucks. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, oh, man, the Giants and nothing else in this town. I have no affection for this place outside of the one sports team that doesn't even actually play here. They don't actually play in New York, right? (laughs) Jersey gents. Yeah. Well, Chris, we have a lot of manga to talk about today. Mm -hmm. I don't remember a lot of positives from this week in manga. So, I think there's going to be a lot of whining on my end. So, always let's good. Get into that. I know that's why you guys tune in is because you want to hear Nick goes. It's not good. <laughs> I don't like it. I didn't like it. Let's just hit and hit the recap. Weekly recap for the, closing out the first month of twenty of the new decade, beginning with My Hair Academia. Number 258, friends. Get a big cover page uh, at the start of this chapter of uh, Burning, Endeavor Sidekick, leading Deku and Hodoroki and Bakugo off somewhere. Uh, big action shot. But um, enough about that. Let's see what, what Hawks has been up to for the past few months. You may recall that last chapter ended after a time skip. Well, this one begins with a flashback, so... <laughs> Two months later, all the heroes disappeared. Anyway, let's find out how that <laughs> happened. <laughs> There's, we'll at least lead up to this. Okay. So, this has a lot to do with Hawks and Twice, and how they've seemingly gotten pretty close to each other in Hawks' time undercover uh, with the villains. And um, there is also like, flashbacks within this flashback so i'm not gonna try and explain how things go chronologically or as they are unveiled and just kind of do a general summary which is hawks and twice get along these days Mm -hmm. uh twice apparently seemingly comes to hawks for advice on certain stuff we get a brief summary of what hawks has learned about the organizational structure of how the vanguard action uh squad works which Implies to me, suggests to me rather, that uh, we're going to get some sort of wide scale battle 
of some sort in the future. And that's why we've got to know who's in these different divisions and how the units are divided up. Uh, I don't really care that much right now, though. Yeah, none of these characters are named uh, outside the ones we'd already know. So you're kind of just seeing a bunch of different faces and designs with nothing really attached to them. So uh, I guess the only thing is uh, Slip and Slide or whatever his name is, is in Toga's group. And I guess that's the only non-leader character who I think we're actually supposed to know in this mm-hmm. giant group. And it's, there's It's weird because the characters that we are familiar with are, you know, in the foreground basically. And it's not just the members of the league of villains. There's, you know, Parker person and, uh, the long haired, uh, gorillas dude. dude. Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing that's amusing to me is the whole thing starts with a bunch of people, apparently like people inside Twice's group asking him like, Hey, what, so what's, what's the deal with this essentially? And he had to make a big excuse, like, oh, I have to go take a dump. And then they show his group, and I really hope the person asking him all the questions was the skeleton man in the aviator <laughs> thing. Like, there's a bunch of normal-looking people with very reasonable reasons to ask these questions, and then it's just like, ah, Trice! What's our dental plan gonna be like? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I just want to get away from you really bad right now. <laughs> so... Hawks is thinking like, okay, so things are bad with all with how many people are in this group. Obviously, uh, he's been able to learn a lot despite the fact that he's been under constant suspicion because people are like, he's the number two hero. Like seriously, he's with us, and he's still managed to get by without anyone actually um, thinking that he's up to no good. They're just keeping a close eye on him, and he's been able to learn a bunch. Uh, and so the whole point of this group is to bring down the current status quo and part of that means annihilating all heroes so they're going to launch this huge wide-scale attack across all of japan against all major cities and then redestro and the hearts and minds party will storm the political world so they'll distribute weapons extol the virtues of self-defense calling it true freedom so a new an entire new society will arise after they've killed the current hero society basically that's what they want to do and they're going to put shigaraki at the top of all of it uh as he as hawks puts it it'll be the second coming of all for one so hawks kind of sums this up in a way uh that you know twice is able to put it in this speech he's got to give to people for their mission statement um and but you know in a less grim manner so that he could actually say it in an inspirational way to people and twice is like oh good job i knew you were a swell guy and hawks then at this point reflects on how he has gotten to know twice in the time that they've been there and you know, Hawks later himself, you know, it's it's thanks to this guy that the pieces are in place. When I heard that you had conquered your trauma, a chill ran down my spine because at that moment you went from being just another two bit villain to the asset we ought to fear most. And we get this kind of imagined scene of a bunch of twice's clones, each of them flanked by a new uh, form, Nomu. And it's like, oh, yeah. Now that he can summon, you know, an army of himself, he can create an army of anyone. So that's bad. Uh, But Hawks also thinks to himself that he knows that Twice is a good natured guy. And we see a flashback within a flashback of them kind of talking with each other. 
and uh, Hawks, you know, basically says that, you know, I once admired and dreamt of joining this world of heroes and it turned out to be a birdcage locking me up and I want to fly free. You know, I don't belong in a cage. And twice is like, oh, and he say, oh, takes a sip of the autumn and he actually mentions where what Shigaraki's been up to with a little bit of suggestion from from Hawks. Um, but then we cut back to, I think the part, it's a little weird without, we're cutting, we're, like I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to explain how things are going chronologically or anything like that. But I think we cut back to the moment right after Hawks advised twice on his speech and twice turns him and says, hey, you know, anyone who helps his friends can't be all that. Basically saying, you know, like, I know everyone's suspicious of you, but I think you're a good person kind of thing. And he says, let's fr- fly free together. So. There's a lot of build up also in terms of how how Hawks is looking at twice and how he thinks of him because he sa- starts to say like, and since I know you're good natured. And then he doesn't finish that thought. I love narration that's like, ah, open ended. Ah, now you've <laughs> got to wait to see what he actually thought for the next week. <laughs> And that's the flashback that we get in terms of establishing all of this. We cut back, catch back up to the point where uh, all the heroes disappeared. Um, and we see this huge... Because they all went on vacation! We see this huge gathering of heroes all walking determinedly forward to the beach to hang out together. <laughs> A whole bunch of familiar faces. There's the Wild Wild Pussycat. There's Endeavor, 13, Aizawa, uh... What was it? What was his name? Miruko? Mir- Poppy. Poppy. I think that's her name, right? Hoppy. That's her superhero name. Oh, the bunny girl. Rabbit girl. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Miruko. Uh, I think. Yeah. Something. You liked her so much. And now that she's not done anything in a long time, it's like, who the fuck was she again? <laughs> I mean, I like the washing machine dude, too. I don't remember his name anymore. Washy washy. Washer. I think it's just washer. <laughs> it's, it's too much. Anyway, a lot of familiar faces in there with also just a it, there's like dozens of them that you can see in this in this shot. Then finally, we cut over to UA and we see that seemingly everyone in classes 1A and 1B all got called out on a work study thing. And they're going to go help some of the sidekicks evacuate the city. That's it. Big full page spread of Deku and a bunch of the others all gathered together. So. It's just a week where it's like, all right, we're setting the scene for stuff to happen. Not a lot really happened in it, though, laying the foundation for future events. So I I, re- I do really enjoy the connection between Hawks and Twice. And I actually really do appreciate the idea of presenting that while Hawks is kind of triple agenting his way through things. Mm-hmm. He actually is kind of like showing that he he's kind of made a friend in it with Twice. Mm-hmm. He's recognized that Twice is incredibly dangerous now that he's kind of realized his full potential but at the same time he's also kind of like i kind of like this guy and he has a good heart and i like that about him and it's just you know it's nice to show that there's like interpersonal developments happening while all the spying stuff is going on so it it potentially makes things more interesting when conflicts start to arise and it's also you know potentially setting up uh, a way of dealing with that danger that twice poses other than just beating him. So. All right. Let's talk about actage. Sure. 
Scene 98. Wind. So last time it seemed as though Kay had abandoned her uh, acting in order to just simply recite the script so that they could finish up the play. Which is disappointing to their director because she's like, oh, well, now she's just going through the motions. Her heart's not in it anymore. She's kind of abandoned this. And so we get this whole big thing about uh, Kay's co-star who had, of course, you know, refused to compromise his acting and his acting style earlier. Uh, it was a big thing earlier in the play where um, he was meant to stop acting all cocky and arrogant and stuff. And instead, he acted even more cocky and arrogant and it worked uh, within the within the play. Um, and so they're like, well, we can't have Kay compromise her acting here because uh, she has, you know, gotten brought us all for- forward this far. And now we can't just abandon her. And so he actually stops Kay from swinging her fan down in order to quell the flames. And literally everyone watching them is like, what the fuck? They're literally just deviating from the script. They they are abandoning the play. And uh, they're like, they're not just abandoning the play. They're abandoning it in order to protect Yonagi's performance. Why? And Kay is like, why, why are they? Why is everyone doing this? You know, in just a few more seconds, we would have actually finished it. Now everything's over. And, you know, we, we have kind of betrayed the audience. And she starts to blame herself, thinking, you know, because of my performance, the others abandoned the play in order to protect me. And so she, again, feels anger at her towards herself, anger for her own weakness and her inability to act the part and for making them all lose but she drops the fan and she falls to her knees and cries in gratitude because you know she has friends that have helped her in this moment and young Kay, who has she has been calling upon in order to get the anger of the part through this whole time and has been telling her not to abandon her anger uh tells her She's no longer alone and you're no longer what I once was. And you're certainly not the princess iron fan. She imagined, look how fortunate you are now. Anger and sadness are behind you. Now, can you play the part? And Kay wipes away her tears and picks up the fan. And the director's like, I feel something coming, something about to be portrayed. And she starts to step forward and shout out, wait, but Kay swings her fan And there is an odd look in her eyes of this kind of sadness and relief. And uh, the director stops in her tracks and Kate thinks to herself, I am Princess Iron Fan. I was once a prisoner of anger and sadness. That's why I can appreciate what I have now. And there's this content smile on her face as she swings the fan and quells the flames in the play. Ends as the director falls on her ass. So uh yeah I yep. get it but I really hope that everyone's not just like oh that was so much better than if they had just followed the scripts <laughs> I mean they have to lose by default right like wasn't it they in the rules act- that they can't deviate from the script or else it wouldn't be fair like they can't make changes they both have to like both teams have to perform the same material they didn't recite any different lines 
admittedly, but the stage direction falters in that mm. moment. Uh, so I hope that that this moment in terms of how the play is performed as a whole, at least they look at it and is like, okay, well, that's a mark against them when people are thin looking at it. And yeah, I, like I said last week, I kind of hope that there would be consequences for Kay's inability to, you know, perform the part. And you can still do that even with this moment of like, she's able to actually perform the part at the end with a little help from her friends. Um, because yes, her performance is kind of saved in this because, you know, she's able to actually act the part emotionally all the way through. But yeah, having someone literally grab her hand and stop her from doing what she was going to do already. That feels like it's cheating. Actage is an odd series to cover week to week, and it's only taken me a couple of weeks to realize that. So, yeah. Well, that's the thing that happens when you read like 96 chapters of a series in like one week or whatever in one in one swoop. And then it's like, oh, now we go weekly. But hey, so if you like Act Age, there are rumors that it's it's getting picked up for an anime. There's supposed I look to forward be to seeing. A, a big announcement that's supposed to be made, and the, and the rumor running right now is it's it's going to be an anime announcement. Mm. Well, it's been about two years that the series has been running, so yeah. It's going to take, I mean, th it's really weird because we started covering this series and the last chapter is like, well, I guess we got to see what happens next week to determine how well this one works out. And this one's like, well, I guess we got to see what happens next week to determine how well this one works out. There will be a point, like, Actage does have moments where it's like, okay, this is like a thing that's like, okay. I can appreciate there, here's this. Here's a stopping point. And now I can look back. But I guess that we're going to have to get used to stretches like this where it's like all right i'm gonna have to wait until the fourth chapter in this kind of sec segment to actually assess the whole thing and uh yeah that's how i feel about how about this and right now i feel like i don't know this, this kind of feels like it's going to be a cop-out victory sort of thing and i hope it's not yeah admittedly chiyoko's group's entire performance comes second so maybe they'll completely blow it out of the water and kay will lose and she'll actually have to you know suffer a setback and grow from it so something like that let's move on to the best chapter of the week though nick in, oh boy in zero chapter 79 that which obstructs and that which steals i wonder what that means interesting let's find out so last chapter uh drac and joe showed rebecca uh labilia or whatever her name was and said, yeah, hey, this, her name. Yes. Th this is a present for you. You're going to join my crew, number 29. And that's where we pick up with Rebecca being like, number 29? What does that mean? And he's like, eh, you don't need to know yet. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the foreshadow. This is the exposition <laughs> chapter. <laughs> Get in there. <laughs> you have Samurai 8 for that. And she's like, wait, no. Every chapter of Samurai 8 is exposition chapter. And he throws that's her... Right. That's right. We're not the be the worst paced series that it's covered on Weekly Manga Recap. <laughs> <laughs> and then he pushes her into a jail cell, and I don't know. He <laughs> yeah, he he. So he turns what I guess was glass originally into water, 
and then turns it into glass again. So Rebecca's now trapped on the other side. He's like, ah, yes, the power to convert matter. Alchemist, that is my Aether Gear. And I'm like, all right, so Aether Gears are, they, are, they could be pretty nebulous, I guess. Yeah, but I like it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you could do a lot of stuff with that. So, mm-hmm. so he's like, hey, you stay. Like an entire, you can make like an entire anime out of the concept of using alchemy in combat. And maybe you could have a combined with technology so that, you know, like maybe you got like, you know, maybe the... or, or I guess it could be any kind of metal, right? Total, total steel alchemy. That's what I would call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you fight your villains. The hmm, seven. No, eight. The seven holy the... <laughs> <virtues>. <laughs> uh, finally, Nick gets a series. The... There are artificial creations, which you would call uh, the uh, golems. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a golem. And you uh, would have, um, they'd be powered by like a gem. Okay. Uh, uh, the Sorcerer's Stone, that's what we call it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, hold on. Harry Potter has the rights to that, I think. They invented it. Yeah, damn, you're uh, right. We'll, we'll call it the Wizard Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe maybe not even wizard, maybe just like some sort of like like a philosopher uh, oh, created. So like a talkie uh, the th- dude. The th- yeah, the think the the talkie dude rock. That's what <laughs> we'll call talkie it. Talkie dude rock. I'm on my quest for the talkie dude rock. Uh Joe pushes Rebecca in the cell, says, Hey, uh have fun in there, you know, beat her up, do whatever you want, just you know, don't kill her because people are assets. Even the slum slimiest dirt bags can bring in money. So immediately Rebecca's like, oh my god, this is so horrible. Uh, goes to try to take uh, Labilia's uh, shackles off, and the floor says, stop! And there's a face on the floor as we get I'm from... I'm looking up your skirt. Uh, we, we get from a weird angle of, I guess it's supposed to be Rebecca's viewpoint. It's mostly just a reason to see Rebecca's boobs. Uh, mm-hmm. And the person starts molding up out of the ground and it's daichi of earth the last member of the elemental four i don't even know where the fire dude is anymore and his gimmick is you want some chocolate anyway we cut over to Jin, and uh it's it's like it's supposed to be scary i guess like rebecca's horrified but would you like chocolate she's like oh my god a rock person (laughs) he's like would you like some chocolate (laughs) i I guess is it made of rocks (laughs) Also, what what kind of chocolate bar is cylindrical? That, is it filled with something or is it pure chocolate? Why isn't it portioned out into bits I can snap off at my own whim? He's uh, like, actually, it's a uh, it's it's a push pop. You remember those? Uh, did I do I? You mean my number one favorite snack food as a child? Because you would eat it when it was really cold, but if you just laid your tongue on it for a while, it would burn your tongue a little bit with the cold, but Ugh. then it would just melt a bit, and you could just la 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 It was real good. Real good times. Anyway, messiest snack ever. That's why 90s kids are the best. Jin <laughs> is now fighting Cheeky, and his wind is so intense. It's so intense that it makes the fight absolutely 100% illegible to the human eyes. You cannot tell what's happening in any scene. There's wind lines um, everywhere. Shiki does a thing. I don't really know what it is. I think he, he makes transfer- the thing heavy. He, I think he transfers all of his gravity into a rock, and the rock falls, and that stops all the wind. It doesn't matter, because Shiki tries to punch Jin, and Jin just makes more wind and just blasts some away. So, meh. 
And then uh, he says, hey, I'm strong. My wind obstructs all and cleanse wind. And we cut over to Homura, who's walking by. She's trying to get the medicine over to the robot dude whose name I forget right now. <laughs> and uh, a, a mysterious wind passes by and it blows up her skirt for a moment. And I was like, oh, we're going to get a bunch of upskirt jokes. Little did I know. No skirt jokes. <laughs> Little did I know that upskirt jokes was the the high point of quality I should have hoped for, because we find out what Cleanse Wind can do, and her wind is the one that steals all. So Homura makes her her Aether Gear sword, and Cleanse Wind grabs it and dis you know like disintegrates it and like kind of grabs it, and now it's Cleanse Sword. And you're like. Oh, so she can steal ether gear. That seems like a really cool ability. No, she can steal anything, I guess. And she shows this by stealing all of Homura's clothes. <laughs> and then we get a shot of all of our heroes at their different angles, all equally threatening, like Wise, who is literally on death's door if he doesn't get this medicine. Rebecca, who's held hostage and being threatened by one of the four powerful With members. <laughs> uh, Shiki, who's locked into mortal combat with one of his most powerful foes he's faced. And Homura, whose shirt has been taken. <laughs> She's embarrassed. <laughs> I... Why is <laughs> the question I ask like it's such a weird thing to have spontaneously developed only when Clan was fighting someone else? Yeah, like not even happening to Rebecca. Yeah, like, like I think that, that would have come up before too. <laughs> yeah, it's like no, now it has to happen, and my wind could steal, and it's like. No, you know, it would have been actually kind of cool. Like, she could just steal, like, physical ether gear. Like, I could suck up ether gear and <laughs> I can use it. But it's like, no, I could steal everything. I'm like, I, I thought we had, like, a fan service joke character who could literally do that exact same thing in the last arc. But I guess whatever we want to do it again, I guess. This, this one's a villain, so that we can beat her up then. Uh, so. When I read this chapter, there was a moment where I was like, okay, well, so Homura's got to cover up her boobs with the medicine case. Mm -hmm. uh, so she's completely topless, but she's still got her, her panties on. So I was like, why isn't she wearing a bra or chest bindings or something? And so I took a look back and I was like, actually, her outfit, when you look at it, it makes sense why she doesn't have anything under that. Because it's like this weird backless top thing so i was like okay i guess that makes sense but then i was like no no i shouldn't be making excuses for this, this i mean the question i ask and then maybe it's the weird question about it, i was like why did she not just take the underwear too i don't know she made a big deal she's like i've taken all of your clothes and now i will steal your whole body i'm like I don't know. Why not just go the whole 10 miles and take everything first? You left her her boots, too. I guess. Why isn't she wearing her clothes now? She took her sword and could use her sword. She should have taken her clothes and worn them. She's like, this is a cool. This is a cool outfit. I'm going to. I like this outfit a lot. Um. 
I guess the idea is that the edge of her wind actually touched the clothes and that's what actually sucked it up. But it's wind, so that doesn't make sense. I don't know. It's just it's... weird hero fetish stuff. And I'm You have to keep in mind when Hero does one of these things, the point is not just to get the girl naked. It is to make the girl embarrassed because that's an entire separate turn on. Mm -hmm. So having that need to cover herself up is part of the fan service. So and I don't want to get into a deep discussion about this because it's going to get into creepy territory pretty immediately. But. That is why only some of her clothes were stolen, Chris. <laughs> you know, I she just, can't cover both parts with the medicine case. Is is, is what I, I'm saying. You know, I just realized that the little robot that does like the emojis for Queen has like a yeah. beep boop, and he's got like a really creepy face. Like, mm, yeah, daddy likes. Yes. yes, 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 it is. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, I guess we were going to get one of these fights eventually from Hero, mm -hmm. and these are always the worst fights in all of his mm -hmm. stuff. So, yes. Um, all right. Anywho, let's go over to Spy Family, which was much better than that. <laughs> Chapter 20, or Mission 20. So, Yor has come to save Anya. She is knocked out uh, one, of the, one of the goons. The head of the terrorists with the dogs and stuff uh, still facing them down. Uh, he tries to send a dog to attack them and Yor gets this demonic expression on her face and the dog runs the fuck away. Uh, and I love that we have, you know, this immediate joke of, you know, Anya's like, Mama, I was so scared before. And then she makes the face and then I like, Mama, I'm so scared of you. <laughs> so he tries to send the other dog, the future side dog, uh, but it's resisting and trying to get away from him. So he's just like, ah, fine, and gives it a kick and then runs off. Uh, Yor thinks about going after him, but she's like, I, I've, I've got to look after Anya. I can't let her out of my sight again. Uh, so um, Anya tells Yor everything that she learned while she was snooping on the ter terrorists. Um and she also explains, yeah, this dog, you know, saved my life. And uh, Anya apologizes to Yor for getting into trouble and getting into danger, which is probably the most like, you know, emotional and downbeat that this manga has gotten uh, because it's usually so goofy or over the top. Mm -hmm. And so having you know, this little girl be all apologetic and sad is very different for it. It's very nice. So yours like your comforts her and then says, OK, we should report this to the police. And uh, so she starts placing a call. And uh, I like the detail because they're like, uh, you know, she's like, yeah, there's one of them lying unconscious right here. What? No, I'm just a housewife. I just stumbled across all of this. <laughs> but uh, the dog starts twitching and Anya notices this because and so she's like, oh, is, is he going to see the future? And that vision of the dog standing in front of Yor and Lloyd and Anya all together changes. And now instead Lloyd's not there and Yor and Anya look sad. And Anya's like, why did he disappear? And then she sees a sight of this clock tower striking five and an explosion going off in the building collapsing. 
and Anya coming across uh, Lloyd covered in the rubble, dead. Well, shit. <laughs> That's a lot more dire than I'm used to this series getting. <laughs> yeah, this is a big like jump up in tension. Will Anya uh, win her dodgeball game? I hope Lloyd doesn't get blown up by terrorists. <laughs> and then there's die, and, leaving his wife and daughter to be sad. <laughs> and next week, Yor has to take a cooking class. And if she doesn't do well, everyone's going to think she's lying. There's a bake sale and there's too many brownies, but she already <laughs> brought them. So she's going to have to make something new in 30 minutes. And then everyone's going to judge her for being depressed now that her husband's dead. <laughs> There's a lot of gossip at the school about how yours is a spinster. Now that her husband's been murdered, their family's falling apart. They might get evicted. <laughs> oh, God. So, Anya naturally gets freaked out by this. And so she goes over to the dog and is like, that's horrible. If Papa dies, world peace gets disrupted. And she's like shaking the dog's head back and forth. It's like, oh, Bob's all many futures. And the one way a husband <laughs> dies is but one of them. She's like, that's my dad, not my husband. I do not care for your human relationships. I do not understand. <laughs> yeah. I do not understand how the human relationships work. I am a dog. Wolf, wolf. <laughs> I, but I would much appreciate some wet food mixed with my dry food this evening. <laughs> I've seen the future, and the future looks like you're going to really chintz me out on a meal. I'm not looking forward to that. I have seen the future. You will pretend to throw the ball, but you will not actually throw the ball. <laughs> the future shows me not on the foot of the bed, which I find quite <laughs> I find very disturbing. I am, I am perhaps saving your boyfriend's life. Not my boyfriend. He's like thirty years older than me. What's more, I do not care <laughs> about your infantile relationships. <laughs> Just bring me the food. Now that I've saved the man. What bark 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 bark? Who is a good boy? I already know it is me. <laughs> but perhaps that's the question I will muse on tonight as I stare into the fireplace. <laughs> That is the questions that all of us must contemplate. <laughs> Who is a good boy? <laughs> That's what haunts me at night. Why do I chase my tail if there's no purpose? But if there is no purpose, then maybe chasing is the purpose. Oh my god. I will move this over with your finest whiskey tonight. <laughs> Leave the bottle open to the glass prepared nearby. <laughs> this is why they don't make the dog talk. <laughs> <laughs> why did we why did you choose that voice for it? I don't know because it's a big lumpy dog it's the voice it's in F oh my god alright huh. so Anya freaks out about this and so she's like maybe, maybe I should tell mama about this oh but I can't let her know that we've got superpowers so she looks to the dog and is like, hey, doggy, couldn't we change the future if we try really hard? And the dog's just like. <laughs> yes, perhaps. There are a great many things we could do if we can put our minds to it. Wait, weren't, you, weren't you the teach? Weren't you the coach of the, <laughs> of the pangolins? <laughs> I can appear across universes. 
This is but a murdered. <laughs> this is but a vessel that this what soul now that? inhabits. <laughs> what happened after that? <laughs> mostly mostly scheduling conflicts. <laughs> so Anya's like, okay, we've got to do something. And so she she kind of turns very very sadly over to Yor and is like, Mama, I'm sorry, but I just remembered something. Papa went to poop, but he doesn't have toilet paper. She jumps on the dog and they rush off together. So Yor is like, oh, I can't let her out of my sight. So she just says to the police, "I listen, I need to go. Please come arrest this man. And she hangs up and runs after. So while that's happening, we see a bit of stuff happening with Lloyd's handler. Uh, there's stuff about the terrorist uh, information that they're getting and seemingly, I guess what's happened is because Anya and the uh, stumbled across the operation. Now they're moving the schedule up and they're changing their plans. And as a result of that, that's why the vision of the future changed. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff that, you know, we cut around to like, you know, uh, there are some of the conspirators have been captured. Uh, some of the explosives have been discovered, but Keith is still at large. Uh, he is watching this going down. He's like, oh, God damn it. The conference starts in two hours and we still have bombs in one location they haven't found yet. So I've just got to do this mission solo. Um, some of the agents try and interrogate uh, the guys that they have captured and the handler shows up uh, as they're refu- refusing to give any information. So he's like, she says, all right, what do you want? And he's like, we want war, a war to put the East on top and wipe the West. And she just kicks him in the face with her heel. And she says, have any of you ever killed anyone before? And they don't say anything at, at, at first. And she refutes her question. And she's like, well, no, you dumb broad. And she, so she says, have you ever had a limb torn off by an artillery shell? Have you ever heard the sound of bones shattering? Have you ever smelled the reek of rotting flesh? Have you ever found the crushed bodies of your parents and siblings in a pile of rubble that used to be your home? Have you ever discovered a blown off piece of your lover stuck to a wall? Have you ever been so hungry you tried to eat tree bark? Have you ever stewed human flesh in a pot? Have you ever convinced yourself your enemy was subhuman so you could slaughter them like animals? Have you ever been so haunted by shame and regret afterward that you cried until you puked? Have you ever had friends who did the same and took their own lives? And she pushes a gun to one of their heads and says, did you learn nothing about war at your university? So basically, yeah, the consequences of doing these kinds of things is much worse than a lot of people imagine. And this honestly is a nice little speech that a lot of people should fucking keep in mind whenever they're like, oh, yeah, we need to go to war with whoever. Because it's like, dude, war is horrible and should only be pursued as a last possible option. So, oh, yeah, we want these to go on top. Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry, I, I think this is something that's on a lot of people's minds in recent times. So, no, that's fair. Anyway, Keith has that one dog that ran away from Yor, so he uh, straps a bomb onto it and is like, all right, I've got to, you know, maybe I can take advantage of uh, what's happened here in order to lure these pigs into a trap and get rid of them. So he's like, all right, just you wait, little pigs. I'm going to blow the whole lot of you to kingdom come. Presumably this is the future that is currently in place in the dog's mind is that because security has been escalated, Lloyd will die in a way that he wouldn't have before. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, people get to start going out to different locations, including Lloyd. And Lloyd says to himself as he's 
uh, sent away by the handler. I'm done with war. And everyone's racing towards uh, the clock tower now, uh, including Anya, because she knows that's where the bomb's going to go off. That'll kill Lloyd and she's got to stop it. So and it looks like they've got about 30 minutes before uh, the clock strikes five and the bomb goes off. So. Mm-hmm. So very exciting and a very different chapter of Spy Family that we've seen this far, but I really okay. liked it. Um. Unfortunately, a dog gets kicked in this chapter, so uh, zero out of ten. This is the worst chapter this week. <laughs> Not a fan. I've been kicked. This is the worst that's ever happened. Little do you realize that your act of aggression only taints your soul. <laughs> you have harmed yourself and nothing else. Ouch. <laughs> also, I, my tummy does hurt now. <laughs> I would like some good belly rubs, perhaps. I will roll over because I trust you. <laughs> Be grateful for the appreciation, I show. But if you do not give me the belly rubs, then I will vomit and then eat up my own vomit later. He's <laughs> 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 a sophisticated old son to be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like he looks up and he's just like, "What? Everything we do is just a byproduct of society that creates us. Love is just what mercenaries we've made of ourselves for a product sold to us by companies." Now, if you'll excuse me, there's some strange poop on this lawn, and I will investigate it by devouring it all. <laughs> oh, upon closer examination, this is my feces. Well. <laughs> <laughs> when it is the best not what not <laughs> now if you excuse me I've, uh, I have some testicles that need to be cleaned <laughs> if you need me I will be licking my own taint for the next 30 to 40 minutes <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> We're going to have to put a pit in that one and come back to, to that character later. Henry Kissing Dog? <laughs> I don't know what the dog's name is. Henry Kaninger. There we go. All right, let's All talk right. about the best jump that's star in name. Years. That's his official name until they fucking name <laughs> <Yeah>. him themselves. <laughs> Someone edit the Spy Family Wiki. <laughs> don't do that. No one, no one likes a troll. All right. Jumpstart series. We're going to start off with the new one, Mashal, Magic and Muscles. Uh, I'm going to speed through this one kind of um, and just kind of sum it up basically by saying, all right, take Black Clover and imagine it was done by the author of One Punch Man and uh, uh, Mob Psycho 100 because there is a lot of that kind of humor in this, and it is that kind of premise. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a world where everyone has magic. Everyone is judged by how strong their magic is. Our main character, Mash, has no magic, so his father keeps him in a hut out in the woods in isolation and just tells him to stay physically fit instead. So he is incredibly physically fit to the point where when he actually ends up fighting some mages later on in the chapter, he actually kicks their asses. and we do. It's weird because you would think with this, with that kind of setup, and especially with like the art style, the way that a lot of lines are delivered, the kind of the kind of cadence things occur at where something happens, 
you know, Mash does something ridiculous that gets his dad upset. He freaks out and then Mash apologizes very sincerely and his dad immediately forgives him because he can't he can't stay mad at him. The word he keeps on using to describe Mash is amenable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he does stuff like he accidentally crushes his coins when he goes to town to pay for stuff. So he just flattens the coins back out by bending them with his fucking bare hands. Uh, you would think with all that, it's like, oh, it's just a pure like comedy series. It's like, well, no, there's actually a very big dramatic <laughs> thing that happens right in the middle. Yeah. Um, it's very odd because uh, Mash ends up disobeying his father's wishes, goes into town already, gets some freaking cream puffs uh, and comes back. Or rather, his father brings him back when he discovers he's gone. And because of that, some magic cops uh, discover him and discover that he has no mark. He's got no signer mark, Chris. Uh, not signer mark. He's got no uh, facial mark. Yeah. What was it called in 5Ds? The freaking security uh, mark. Sig- signer mark? I don't know. It wasn't a no. It wasn't a signer mark. That's the thing that the mem- that the people with the legendary dragons use. See, criminals in who are abducted by security, they get marked with this tracking thing in their face, and that's what you say is got on his uh, face. Anyway, just says just called criminal mark on the Yu Gi Oh fan. It's just a it might be a marker. Anyway, so uh, the, everyone's got this kind of facial mark at a different part of their face. Um, except for Mash. And so because they see he doesn't have a mark, that means he's got no magic. So, sure, all right, fine. Um, And so they follow him back to the hut where his dad has raised him, and they're going to uh, arrest him or beat him up. I don't know. I think that the basically they explain that they are a eugenic space society, so only the strong mages are allowed to live, and they purge all the weak ones. And so someone who's got no magic, they've got to kill him. And we get this big flashback from his father's perspective of how, you know, his entire life he was rejected because he had no talent for magic. He was a very weak mage. Uh, he was always a failure. Uh, and he actually considered contemplated suicide. But at the moment he was going to do it, he actually came across Baby Mash and realized that he didn't have a mark. And he was like, oh, you're just like me. And he, re- and he was like, for the first time in my life, someone needed me. So I promised that even if we weren't tied by blood, even if the whole world rejected us, then I would always be a father to that boy. Very big, dramatic moment. And, you know, his, he's being beaten while this is going on by these guys who are looking for this, you know, non-magic freak that they want to kill. <clears throat> and uh, he cries out for Mash to run away and, and to be safe. And instead, Mash comes storming in and beats up the bad guys. And then immediately we go back to comedy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, he rips the clothes off the guy and just kind of slaps him a few times. Uh, and then the most, the leader of them, uh, steps up to them. The match is like, I'm going to send you guys to hell. And he's like, whatever I've got magic and I've killed a dragon with this spell. He launches this, you know, powerful spell at mash and he just bats it out of the air. He's like, Oh, well, maybe if I try to get, and so, then Mash grabs his dad's wand and he throws it like a javelin, basically, and nearly kills the guy. And so eventually he's like, oh, this is really bad. Wait a minute. I know. Let's make a deal. If you do what I ask, I'll let you and the old geezer go. Uh, all you need to do is enroll in magic school. And his dad's like, you've got no reason to accept that. And Mash is like, I accept. And so he enrolls in magic school. And so Mash, as he's going off, is like, if I want us to be able to live in peace. And if this world won't allow that, then I've got no choice but to crush it with my fist. 
And the chapter ends with this shot of a big ass fucking castle with lightning all around it. And I guess that's the Magic Academy that he's going to be going to. So this is really weird. Um, I don't dislike it, but it really feels as though every part of it is just something that I've seen from another series. Like I said, with, you know, the Black Clover comparison and especially it's. Look, it is definitely influenced by one punch. It's like 100. Like, there is no way that it is not in terms of the way that the main character looks, how jokes are delivered. Uh, and I feel as though, like, if I wanted to read that type of series, I would just read those series by one. So then there's the whole thing where there's like a dramatic thing, there's the combat stuff. And it's like, I don't really know what the series is going for yet. It's this weird thing where it seems as though it's a parody and yet it's not. And yeah, so I don't know. I really, really like this one. This is, I think, maybe one of the better jump starts we've had recently. I really thought like at first I thought it was just going to be stupid. Like the joke seemed kind of obvious and the art style was pretty simplistic. But as it went along, the joke started to get a little bit better. And, and I love that it actually like had a real heart to it and then i like that it got silly again it was still funny like it i mean you mentioned that it's like black clover it kind of makes me dislike black clover more when i'm like god this is exactly how the world of black clover should work it's way more interesting this way uh and then it also made me think like oh wow this Reminds me how bad security was when you're like, this is like doing some of the same jokes, but way better. Like, I don't know why yeah, the whole thing where, you know, it's like, oh, I'll charge up my super attack. Yeah. And then he's that, literally that same thing was done in security, but delivered way worse than it yeah. was here. So, yeah, it's very it's very silly. I'll be curious to see how the whole magic school thing goes around. But it just seemed like this was more of a fun series and had a better idea on what like its strengths were. And having like an actual emotional core, which I, I, I do think most good comedies need. I, I feel like you can only ride off of jokes for so long. So in the first chapter, having this honest moment where, as I mentioned, this is a very kind of like amicable kid who really doesn't have problems. Well, when someone starts threatening his dad, he's like, I'm going to kill you guys. I'm going to send you to hell. Like, I'm going yeah. to beat you up. You're not doing this. There's a little bit of that uh, Angel Densetsu kind of vibe almost. Yeah, I, I really, really dug this one. I need to see a little bit more from it uh, before drawing a conclusion on it. Oh, yeah. So, like I said, I don't dislike it, but I feel as though I'm going to need to see more in order to see what it uniquely has to offer. Mm -hmm. So. <clears throat> Mission Yosakura family. Can we just skip it? Can we just skip this whole fucking chapter? I do there's a girl version of the brother now. Chapter over. Pretty much. That's basically it. They go to, they meet up with Sui because it turns out Mutsubi knows him too. And they go to the government base and, hey, look, there's security that doubles as training exercises. Everything's a training exercise in this world. Fuck it. They go to have tea with the girl version of Kyoichiro. Uh, and Kyoichiro shows up because he's pissed off because he doesn't like the girl version of himself. And they have a fight. 
and they're like, I don't know if Futayo is worthy of being Mutsumi's husband. And they get into a fight, and Mutsumi decides to break them up. But, oh no, she did it right as they were launching their attacks, and Tayo gets in the way and gets her out of the way, and he gets bunched from both sides. Mutsumi gets pissed off at both of them, and and the girl version of Kuitro is like, he's got quite the guts. Maybe he is worthy. I want to discuss something with you. Chapter over! Let's move on! You've earned my respect, Tayo, says character. getting your ass kicked. Says a character in one of the past seven chapters, I believe. Mix. Rinse and repeat. God. Samurai hate. <laughs> oh, God. Go. Next. Chapter 35. <laughs> Wabi Sabi. I'm going to be 100% honest. I didn't read this whole chapter. I got like six pages in. I was like, holy shit, we're really dropping a lot on this one. I am going to, instead of talking about what they say in this chapter, I am going to explain what they say. Basically, what the image of Fudomyo's does is he gives answers in every time and they ask him specifically is it depends well unfortunately i will Nick say this lost and became very robotic during that but that's about what i remember okay basically what he says is there are no specific answers all of them depend on how you look at them uh-huh. and there's this weird thing where it's a sort of philosophical thing but it's also sort of a quantum mechanics thing they you know, bring up the whole like, hey, with Dharma, you're both a human samurai and a cat. If both people know those sides of you, it depends on how you look at them. There's an almost, you know, like Schrodinger quality to the stuff that he talks about. They talk about what is in the boxes. And he's like, what is in the boxes is everything in the universe. You're just not capable of seeing it right now. And when you are capable of seeing it, that will change what is in the boxes. He's this is basically repeated like ad nauseum throughout the chapter. Everything is asked well. Okay, Kala wants to destroy the universe basically because he's like, that would mean that there is an absolute that, you know, everything will be zero, which is the way the universe was before I came along. But true beauty is in the fact that things can change. And that's why Kala wants to stop that. So and Ata serves Kala. So. The nebulousness of the universe basically is what is good about it, essentially, is what is said in this chapter. And to explain that high of a concept to, you know, 10 year olds requires some repetition and requires a lot of examples. So I'm fine with that concept being stretched out over the course of this chapter. Here's the thing, though. It's just a bunch of guys talking. And it's just a bunch of word bubbles. This would have been a much better chapter if there were better visuals to illustrate it, if there were more artistic examples provided of stuff happening. Because it's literally just Hachimaru and Dharma and Fudomyo or Fudo, whatever is, whatever the guy, sword god's name is. And they're just looking at each other and they're just talking while they're surrounded by an empty fucking void. And occasionally he summons a very simple visual and it's like, look, when the galaxy created, you makes these things. Look, here's the two boxes. Here's the guy we're talking about. 
And there could have this could have been a much more interesting chapter if it weren't so simplistic in the way that it presented this information. And that is probably the worst thing about Samurai 8 regularly. It's not just all the goddamn info dumps. It's that the info dumps are presented very dryly and in the most boring way possible. And that's why we filled them with jokes whenever they are brought up. Because fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... It feels so fitting that at the end of it, we're literally realized like, oh, we basically just watched a progress bar fill all the way up, essentially, because that's that's the end of it. Boom, bink. Hey, progress cars done. You've downloaded your fighting style. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, I, I it's weird because I I was like you the first time I read this. I was just like, oh, skip through this and I'm just checking to make sure nothing important is happening. And it, there really isn't. Well, in terms of the grand scheme of things, in terms of how of the information we actually get, we don't actually learn a lot. And it's a constant joke that Hachimaru and even occasionally Dharma don't get what the hell he's talking about. That's the only thing that's really running through this. And because there are no definite answers, we don't get any definite answers from this. Uh, so if you look at it that way, yeah, uh, it's just like a completely pointless chapter. But at the same time, it's a chapter that really kind of presents the entire like theme of this universe and how it works and the philosophy that they follow. It's just presented in a really boring goddamn way. It's also kind of at a weird time where we're kind of in between arcs. And I know that so like my mind when I start hearing like, hey, this is a story that's going to evolve quantum mechanics. I think one of the more, I guess, modern examples of it would be Bioshock Infinite, which dealt with that pretty heavily and was sort of like explained and ramped up more as the series went along. So I guess there's a level of we have to start somewhere, but it does feel weird to kind of have it presented right now in as heavy handed of a way as possible. And then I guess we'll just see how relevant that continues to be going forward. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. All right. That's that. So. So, Chris. Took one more chapter for me to not like Undead Unluck. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? We met our villain group. Yeah, they're just a villain group. The thing that got me about it is the fact that uh, what's her what's her fucking name? Fuko, I think. Fuka. Uh, yeah, she's a Cinderay for him now. Yeah, yeah. That that makes the dynamic between them much less likable. So, so it's not like I like you or anything. <sighs> There's a villain group that wants to kill them. The only way to escape being hunted by them is to replace some of their members. They're fighting two of the members right now. That's all I have to say about it. I don't really care anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess it's worth noting the guys are, we don't find out specifically, I guess, what their un thing is, but they seem to prevent people from moving. So that seems to be at least part of it. Yes. They are called the Union, which maybe it's pronounced the Onion, if it's un. Uh, it very well might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the one guy is a robot, uh, but his yes. robot's designed to wear a suit. It like it's like yeah, it's it's built to be tie. like a suit, like so it's like a robot tie and shit. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. 
Anyway, Zip Man. Zip Zip. D- chapter 007 versus Woman Warrior. This chapter's just a fight, but it's a cool fight. Uh, the war- woman who stepped up to face off against Zip Man uh, has this big freaking box on her back, which she unzips. And I like how Kagami and Kosher are like, ah, this looks like she's going to have a big weapon, something that might be as tall as her. She takes out this like several story tall axe instead. It's like, oh, how did that fit in there? Oh, well. Uh, and she doesn't swing it at them. She fucking throws it like a throwing axe. Uh, so they've got to get out of the way of that. Uh, the Flamehead guy uh, taunts Jackman saying, oh, are you trying to save the princess? And of course, it's China who's gotten the princess dress. They've got to save and stuff. And he says, um, there's a boss hero on each floor. Defeat all of us and the princess can go free. And as a bonus, I'll reveal the chairman's location. And one of the others is like, are you allowed to do that? <laughs> and he's just like, well, every game needs a reward. <laughs> He's not wrong. I mean, it is. Uh, he, look, the logic's perfect. Yeah, it's flawless. So uh, they accept the challenge, start fighting the woman warrior who takes out this giant flail. Uh, and so Kosher realizes that uh, the box on her back seems to be a high-speed 3D printer, and that is how she's getting out these giant weapons so quickly. So they keep on... They keep on fighting, uh, and the woman warrior says, like, you know, a true user doesn't get their power from the suit. They were dependent on it, and ma- that makes them low ranking. No matter what suit or weapon you have, if you don't have the skills, it means nothing. But I'm different. Uh, she makes the, the flail move in a way that um, I don't believe a flail actually does, because it looks like it is ricocheting off the walls. Mm-hmm. It could just be um, an effect in the way it's drawn, because I think that she's actually, like, pursuing uh, Zipman as he dodges around. It's a little bit confusing. I mean, look, maybe, but at the same time, she also just pulled it out of like a three literally printer pulled it on out her, of her back. So she almost literally pulled it out of her ass. So, <laughs> so might as well just say whatever. Yeah, it just works out for her. Yes. Uh, and also, she does a cool thing where after she swings it up after uh, him, she runs along the chain to go after him. It's like, all right, sure. Why not? <laughs> sure. All right. More weapons. Uh, and eventually, Zipman gets tangled up in the chain as they're flying around the, the building. And then she says, and now you'll taste my blade. And it's this huge fucking sword with like jets in the back of it, I think. Uh, and she says it's a high vibrating blade that cuts everything it touches and it has 10 rockets that makes it 100 times faster. Such wonderful cartoon logic. Like, There's rockets in it, so it'll swing faster. <laughs> that is exactly how a 12 year old would believe that to go. So, yeah, I, I th- this is the perfect show in manga. I really don't know how it could be argued yes. otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so she swings the sword and, of course, uh, Zipman is tangled up in the chain. He can't move. So... Uh, Kagami raises up Zipman's hands and fucking catches it. And everyone reacts in shock. The woman warrior's eyes are bucking out through her suit. And Kagami's like, well, that was close. But 
Uh, as Koshra puts it, when it comes to skill and training, this guy is second to none. Nagami's like, good thing I've been practicing catching swords. And we see a, bre- a very tiny little collage inside of the word bubble where he says that, where we see first himself as a kid seeing it on TV. Second, himself as a slightly older kid trying to catch a sword, the Chena swing and failing and getting hit in the head and then eventually him catching it. So. It requires intense training, Chris. It's yes. something you can definitely do if you have bare hands. I, I Don't do, do that. Yeah. <laughs> I do like how his big victory moment does feel appropriate for a kid who watched an absurd amount of tele- Like, when we're, when we're, like, amping this up to such, like, the nth degree that it's like, yeah, I watched a lot of television, so I know how to do all their cool samurai moves. Ha! I guess when all the villains are inspired by TV and movies, too, it works. Yeah, I mean, in a world where everybody seems to have built gigantic suits based off their favorite cartoon, like, uh, fucking uh, Sentai characters with giant zippers on the front. Uh, yeah, this is exactly how you should be winning fights. I want him to win a fight by posing, and the the colored smoke explosion goes on, and it hits a villain, and they're like, ah! Uh, so Kagami snatches the sword away from the woman, swings it, and it doesn't seem to hit her. I guess he cuts the wall just behind her instead. And she is stunned by this. And in that moment, uh, he grabs the zipper on the suit and defeats her by ripping it out. And then he shouts up to the flaming head hero. Hey, you're going to keep your word, right? Just you wait. I'll get through this stupid game to rescue the princess and claim my reward. Cool. little, little Short little fight. I liked it. Yep. All right, All right, we never learn. Let's talk we never learn. Question 144, the ephemeral mermaid sprinkles into the promised pizza bet part three. So Femino was just caught leaning over uh, Uega, looking like she was about to kiss him. And that's where the chapter starts. And Ruka's like, were you about to kiss him? And uh, Femino's like, no, no, I-, I have no idea what came over me. So Ogata walks up and she's like, Huh, maybe I'll try to kiss him. And she's like, hey, I've been wanting to do this the whole goddamn time. I've been resisting. If all you fucking horny bitches are going to start doing it, I'm going to get on it too. Uh, so, yeah, we're kind of dropping all the pretense. They all know now. Everybody knows that they really like Uega. Everyone knows except Uega yes. himself. Uh, but we get something that I actually really appreciate where all this comes out. And of course, the big worry for Firmino is she's like, the other girls are going to hate me because they know that I know that they like somebody, but you know, I, I, I'm not trying to stomp on their dreams and everybody's kind of really happy. Like they're like, wow, this is great. Like we're all in love with the same person. This really does kind of show how like on the same way, like it's not totally realistic. I'm sure there would be some conflict here, but I just like how joyously innocent the idea is like, we're all in love with the same person. And now I get to kind of know that you guys love him just as much as I love him. So it's just really happy. Like, I don't know. It, it, there's something weird there that's just like, it's kind of sweet, even if it, it it's a bit naive in how it's handled. Um, I'm definitely, I definitely have mixed thoughts about this moment in particular. In general, 
I am glad that it took the direction of all of them realize that all of them, that they all have a crush on Uiga and they're not angry with each other. They just understand, okay, we all, we all love him and we can still be friends. It doesn't you know, yeah. matter that we all have a crush on the same guy. This could, uh, they don't turn it. They don't turn into catty bitches who are competing yeah. with each other over him. Uh, but it is definitely a really awkward moment when Uruk is like, I'm so glad we're all in love with the same person. It's like, um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right about that. Uh, so it's, it's a moment when Firmino feels a ton of relief because she realized she's like, I really was afraid that if they knew everything would be ruined, but I kind of am sad at myself because I underestimated them. How could I have ever made the assumption that they would act that way? Like, so it's sort of a sweet moment where she's like, they're not angry at her and she feels bad. She's like, no, of course they wouldn't feel angry. These are my friends. So it's a nice little moment that they all get to share. And uh, Ruka just says like, Hey, you know what? No more putting other people's feelings above your own. We all have the right to be happy. So let's be true to our hearts and go for it. And the other two girls are also listening. So, uh Oh, maybe it's going to be a five way for Uega's heart. Actually, Six way. we, we oh. very, we very quickly eliminate one of those girls. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, actually, some people in the chat are talking about like, well, maybe Ruka just wants an orgy. And it didn't make me think back to like chapter five where she was being like, oh, Ogata, your boobs are so big and stuff. I'm like, maybe she does. <laughs> and it's hey. like, if she does, like, whatever. You know? <laughs> hey, Tokyo confirmed that the paper beds they've set up can withstand sex. Athletes want fuck. It's a proven fact. <laughs> They had to say that. Yeah, they. Well, that, you know that's like a huge thing that like the Olympic Village is, is like just a fuck with... party. Yeah. <laughs> there's condoms everywhere because there's a bunch of young, attractive, athletic people all gathered in one place, right? Yeah, so we're uh, never going to see each other again, right? Essentially, yeah. So it's just like it's always like that thing, and they had the Tokyo government to come out and be like, "Yes, our paper pets will be able to withstand your fucking." <laughs> um. Well, let's test that theory. <laughs> so Uega starts waking up and he's like, oh, it's Kirisu. But no, it's actually not. It's Miharu. And she's like, hey, I'm here because I didn't want you to, you know, my sister was here. I wasn't going to leave her alone. So I have an early morning flight back. But, you know, there's no way I wasn't going to be here. And Uega asks her because... I'm actually really glad this scene happens now. Normally, Miharu shows up and you're like, oh, Jesus. But he's Why like, Why is she here? Yeah. And but like, she is disconnected enough from the situation that he feels comfortable asking her something and yeah. then she can go away after answering it. So he's like, Hey, you're a professional athlete, right? Like, so is having a romantic partner something that's possible? And she's really like, No, absolutely not. I mean, I guess I guess it actually kind of depends on the person. But, you know, a lot of people kind of suffer a lot emotionally and athletically when it happens. And it's even worse if they're just starting their career. So she actually there is actually a nice little detail where she answers the question like the way that Kirisu would say something because she does that whole thing where she says a quick line that then like one word sums up her thoughts. And then she goes into detail explaining what she means. Mm -hmm. So. And then she, of course, finishes by saying, also, men are all scumbags, so we'd be better off without love. Uh, and then she, of course, moves into, 
Wait, are you trying to seduce me? Oh, well, if it means you'd be leaving my sister alone. And he's like, no, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, <laughs> see, men are pigs. Gross. I do love Yuiko's reaction, though. He's like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> like how easy anger, like, shut up. Stop doing this. <laughs> um, so they all go to the aquarium as they promised. And it's a whole bunch of things. Aruka wants to eat all the fish. <laughs> Which, I don't know why it's so amusing to me, but a character, like a Goku character walking into an aquarium be like, oh man, I can't wait to eat all these fish. And like, no, <laughs> most of these rare, most fish creatures. wouldn't even be good to eat. Uh, you gotta love Ogato when she's like this. <laughs> yeah. So all the girls are like, hey, Yuega, let's go. And since all of them have now kind of put their feelings first, they all latch on to Yuega. Like, hey, let's go, let's go. I'm going to help you over there. And even uh, Asumi walks up, but she's like, hey, we, they're, they're selling Dota Chan stuff over there. I want to go over there. So all four of the, the young girls are fighting all over him. And Kirisu watches from afar, has a brief flashback to that time we time traveled and she spent time with Yuega around that age. And then... And maybe this is me just kind of hoping. I feel like she starts to separate herself away. I feel like Kirisu and Asumi are always going to be the two with the least amount of chance of ending up with Uega. They are very much like the, and also these two. Yeah. Kind of thing. But I thought there was at least a little bit more by showing Kir or uh, Asumi's kind of going for her feelings. But I feel like Kirisu here saying like, no, I mean... Yeah, if I was young like them, I'd have been in that situation too. But mm. as a teacher, she's like, mm, no, that's that's not. So I think it's a sweet little thing mm -hmm. because she, you know, is imagining like if she were in that situation and, you know, being able to spend time with you like that. And you bring up the whole time travel thing. And I do wonder if this is supposed to actually be implying that she remembers that that was Yuiga who she went on that trip with her, or if it is just supposed to be much more of a, if I were younger, maybe I would be kind of flirting with this boy kind of thing. Cause I don't know if it's necessarily her recalling that trip or not. Yeah. But either way, I think it's a sweet little thing for her for her to be thinking that way and then for her going to be like, no, I'm I'm their teacher, you know? Yeah, so I'll watch from afar. Uh, and then we get kind of to the core thought here right now, which is Uega thinking about how Ruka is going to be leaving the same day after graduation and mm -hmm. uh, Miharu's words that like, no, it would be fatal to be in a romantic relationship with someone just starting their international career. And he says to himself, all right, I have to think. Think until your brain explodes. Question one, how do I feel about Aruka? And question two, what will make Aruka happiest? It's a great way of looking at it, I think. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, unfortunately, you know, just having feelings for someone is not the only thing necessary to form a relationship with them. Um, I, and I mean that in the sense of, having reciprocal feelings for someone is not the only thing necessary to have a relationship with them. You know, take it from a guy who it worked out for, you know, we, Nicole and I were dating for several years, long distance. 
Uh, but we were at a different point in our lives than these two characters are in a, in a different situation. And we had the freedom and the knowledge that we would have the opportunity to end up getting together at the end of it. Um, and some people just have long distance relationships and that's it, you know, but you know, you've got to have like the same goals at the end of it. You've got to have a circumstance that allows you to put up with having a long distance relationship. So there's a lot to consider before you're like, okay, yeah, I should, you know, do something about this whole thing. So it's, but breaking it down to like, okay, I've got to figure out how I feel about her. And then I've got to figure out what I want to do about this situation is a good way of actually approaching it. And I have to give the, the character a lot of credit for the maturity on display here because dude's like 18 and a lot of 18 year olds don't think about these things. So. All right. All right. All right. Dr. Stone. Time to get stone. I'm slowing down because we're reaching that climax. It's Z equals 136. Medusa versus science. Ibarra get hit by the fucking car. <laughs> but guess what, Chris? That's not it. What? Uh, <laughs> Senku grabs for the petrification device and he's like, all right, whoever nabs them, Medusa wins. And he's like, all right, I've got to make sure that I finish him off here. And he starts to call out directions to the device. But then, oh, God, he gets clawed in the shoulder. Ibarra's up already. And Ibarra says, this old man is nothing if not, con- uh, if, but not, uh, this old man is not nothing if not. I'm cautious. Anyway. <laughs> so because he was wary of the gun, he put on a bunch of shells on his chest, which would have helped to deflect a the uh, pellet that they got, I guess. I'm not sure how well this would have protected from being hit by a car, but. There's some justification, I guess, for him getting up afterwards. And he is a weird giant man, too. So uh, so he manages to grab the Medusa. He's like, now for the single combat you seek, good sorcerer, a face off between us at the top. What do you say? And Sink is already gone. There's like the outline of where he was as he's already fucking run away. So Ibarra is like, ah, he's just a coward. So he pursues after him. And he's thinking to himself, "Okay, he's running into the trees because he knows that that's going to make it more difficult for me to throw the Medusa at him. But I'm much more familiar with the terrain here. So it's as this is actually my territory that uh, he stumbled into while he is thinking this. There's a moment where, uh, you know, he's saying to throw some of his chemicals at Ibarra. Uh, one of them, and, but he just bats them both aside. One of them cracks against a tree and it fizzles. And there's some sort of acid inside of it. And uh, so Ibarra's like, all right, you're trying to set a trap, but I'm familiar with the topography here. This is actually my trap for you. And I'm actually driving you toward a more open space where I can use the Medusa. And sure enough, Senku is quickly driven to a cliff, at the edge of the island. And so he turns and just kind of faces him with the cell phone and you know tries to be like, ah, this is this is my sorcery weapon. You know, remember the thing that pierced your hand? It's an arrow of science that shoots at a beam. And Ibarra knows he's bluffing. So he's, so he's like, look, I know you can't do that. Uh, you would have fired it at me already if it were a projectile weapon. But 
I'm not foolish enough to just approach you uh, because I'm cautious. So um, he starts to gauge the distance so that he can throw the Medusa. And Seku knows this because he's like, hey, you know, tell me your name uh, before I finish you off. Says that he is Senku Ishigami. And Ibarra is like, well, then, hello and goodbye forever, my good Senku. And he throws the Medusa after triggering it. And then all of a sudden, there's a sound. And he realizes that they're at Wavebreak Cliff. And he thinks back to when Mose had told everyone that there were invaders at the at Wavebreak Cliff. This is where. The entire scuffle first broke out at the very beginning of all of this. And then he realizes that one of the jars that he deflected shattered against one of the statues. And in fact, it broke against Ryusui, who was freed from petrification and picked up the communication earring. And Senku communicated through the cell phone while he was pretending it was a gun. And... Ryusui got the drone <laughs> and got the Medusa deflected it, and that's how the chapter ends. And holy shit, this was amazing. <laughs> it is supremely cool. There is definitely a moment of, like, wow, that's mighty coincidental that Ibarra smacked it away at just such a perfect angle that it crashed against Ryusui. But it's one of those ones that's like, hey, who gives a fuck? This is so fucking dope that fucking drone shows up, and I'm like, hell yeah! And the fact that it all comes full circle, that they're able to execute the original plan that they had at the place that they had all set up. That's why the drone is ready there. And yeah, it's 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 so cool because it makes you realize like, oh, wow, this was all, you know, it, it all just came together. The, the whole thing that they thought of with with the drone was not just a thing that failed. It ended up coming back at the end. So mm -hmm. seemingly this is going to be them successfully intercepting the Medusa. We don't see it get tangled up or anything. It just kind of like hits the top of it. There is definitely still ways that this could go wrong. But uh, it seems as though we're kind of reaching the, the climax of this of this battle finally. So. Yeah. Should be pretty sweet. Really cool chapter. Loved it. All right. Let's move on to Chainsaw Man. <laughs> chapter 55. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, so this is a super easy chapter to kind of discuss. Uh, the three assassin brothers killed the people, and they're gonna take them the over. The three, the three assassin brothers pull a hitman by uh, killing some agents out in the woods and stealing their costumes so that they can pose as them. Yeah. <laughs> there is a little bit of a conversation beforehand where we establish that Denji's got this entourage following him around to protect him, and there's a weird exchange. So. We kind of meet them in media res and then flashback to Denji getting introduced to all of them. There's a guy with glasses named Kusaki Kabe who's a, got a real stick up his ass and is like demanding that Denji speak to him properly. So he's so he's like, do you understand me? And he's like, yes. Or he's like, no, no, you have to say yes, sir. Try again. And Denji's like, seriously, dude? It's like, I'm your elder, so you must answer me precisely and loudly. He's like whatever it's not what say yes sir <laughs> such an asshole when this guy dies to protect denji i'll be like all right <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning of the chapter like denji just hanging out with power we're watching ducks go by in the in the pond 
they're eating like uh, some sort of rice balls or something. And he drops his on the ground and he picks it up to eat it. And the guy's like, don't eat food that fell on the ground. And then he's like, I bought this, man. I'll do whatever I want with this. Like, no, it's unsanitary. Give it to me and I'll throw it away. So let me eat it. <laughs> I don't know if I've laughed harder than him like dropping it and being like, hey, come here, you can't eat it. And then it, basically everyone shows up and is like, Denji, I'll pay you back later. Just throw it away. Like, yeah, just do it. You're gonna give just me. Throw that away. You're gonna just, give yourself. And he just sits there. He's like, get back here! <laughs> and then he's like, I did throw it away into my stomach. <laughs> I don't know why. I just <laughs> the idea. It's all these characters trying to reason. Like, Denji, it's just, it's just a fucking I'll, rice I'll ball. I'll get you another. I'll get you another rice ball. Come we'll, on, man. We'll pay for you to get another one. It's just like a. <laughs> <laughs> and the start of the conversation too is them watching ducks he's like you think we can eat those ducks and Bauer's like if I were the president I'd allow it and it's like god damn it that's your goddamn campaign slogan power 2020 the ducks. I thought you eat those ducks Denji's at his best when he's bouncing off the power Yeah. oh yeah this was definitely the best part of the chapter I will say and honestly, the most relatable dish he's ever been. Because <laughs> it's just like, I bought this rice ball. Let me do it with it. Let me get food poisoning if I want. <laughs> this is America. Japan, damn it. <laughs> I love it when he went with the whole, this is America defense. <laughs> I thought this was America. They're like, it's, it's not. The Statue of Liberty stands over there. Welcome, you must be free to eat rice balls and fall on the ground and to put our feet onto the tongue mat. <laughs> Rips open his shirt. I am a real American. <laughs> eat rice, rice balls. Fight for the rights of all Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's slowly aware of it in the back of his mind. He just can't connect the two dots. <laughs> I'm gonna fight like samurai. <laughs> and then the entire like last three quarters of the chapter is like, yeah, they killed some agents. This is the, the most boring assassins we know of. All right, whatever. <laughs> I guess the one thing to note is that they take over their bodies. And like, well, they take over their appearances rather. Yes. Uh, but one of them was a woman, so I guess they can also, I guess they could change gender, or they're just gonna have to be like, I don't know, the third dude's like <laughs> in a hot dog costume or something like that. I don't know. They they take over the other two people we saw at least, so mm. we'll see if they imitate the third person in the car as well. I think we lost Nick. Going up. Yeah, we're losing Nick. Can you hear? Hello. There we go. There's Nick. Damn it. It's it's a little bit difficult to follow the sequence because the three look so goddamn similar to each other. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the people they're taking over look pretty similar to them as well. <laughs> Despite the fact that the three of them are not siblings. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, so I don't believe we have a seven deadly seven, uh, seven deadly sins chapter this week, Chris. No, no seven so, deadly sins, unfortunately. Just 
going straight into the promised Neverland. Here's something that I wish that we had gotten like two or three chapters ago instead of in just kind of like reordered some things and gotten this side of Rotri's personality before the mask went away immediately, like I mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. So we get about a half a chapter dedicated to explaining how Isabella wound up being in the situation that she's in now, which is that, that yeah, she was you know imprisoned after, uh, you know, the children escaped uh, from Gracefield, you know, years before. And so she took responsibility for the incident and then kind of made her peace. She was like, hey, you know, now I'll, after all this, I can just I'll be at peace now. I, I won't have to you know be running anymore and trying to escape from death. I'll just be dead and that'll be the end of it. And instead, she was offered the role of grandma. Uh, and so she was shocked by this. And they're like, all right. Yep. Uh, and, the, and she's like. The plant was burnt down. I couldn't I couldn't protect the merchandise. Why am I being given this? And she just told Grandma Sarah was responsible for everything. You can control the merchandise, but she's the one who can control you. So she's been shipped and uh, she's going to be served at the next Tafari and you're a new grandma. So she was left to contemplate this in her cell again. And Rotri approached her. And uh, he explains that the reason they made that decision was because, look, you have had breeding results unlike anyone else has ever had. So the decision was obvious. If they got rid of you, then they wouldn't have as good stock uh, for the Tafari and stuff. But he also knows what she's thinking in this moment, which is, you know, I thought that I would finally be free, even in death. Uh, And she doesn't want this. But she's like, you know what? Because you were born in this world as a child to become food, even someone with your talent will end up being their feed. Have you really had enough? You don't know everything yet. You haven't obtained the future you wanted. Aren't you curious why there are humans who are eaten and humans who are not? Don't you want to get out for real this time from this hell, from your destiny? You're just tired of how death is all around you. And that's why you're trying to exit the stage to kill yourself to end this. But death won't save you. By no means is it the path to freedom. I'll give you true salvation. I'll get you out of here if you take my hand. And she accepted. And then in the present, as we finally get our title for the chapter, a one sees five, you can fly. You can fly. You can fly. <laughs> stuff. Uh, she is now sitting before Rotri, composed and very sinister looking now. And uh, they, you know, kind of catch up about some of the stuff that has happened. And, uh, she is she goes off to uh, pluck the children and harvest them all and put them all in jars. And Rachi is like, hey, can you handle that? And she's like, yeah, understood. So she approaches the kids who are all tied up now. And they're like, oh, my gosh, mom, you're here. And, and she hugs a few of them. And she says, oh, welcome back, my children. And they're like, Nat's fingers are broken. Help him. Oh, poor thing. She just snaps them back into place. There you go. Back to normal. Ah, how? Oh. <laughs> All right, we're going to kill you all. Um, choose the first 10 of you. Just leaves it to them to decide which of them is going to die, I guess. Uh, and uh, at that moment, uh, a, a ruckus breaks out somewhere. And uh, the heroes are here. They're going to save the day and stuff. So I wish we had gotten a little bit more out of this whole thing of like, this is how she became the grandma Mm -hmm. in terms of like what she was actually going through, because there feels like there's a lot of untold story here uh, and that there could have been a lot more weight put on this. 
And again, like I said, this side of Rotri, we didn't really get to see before he was freaking out uh, here. So I say, I feel like the last time we saw mom or Isabella as well was her kind of not like admitting everything she was that she had done was wrong, but kind of like this moment of begrudging respect as she realized the kids had kind of outsmarted her and gotten away and you know she knew that she was done for and then finding that she was sort of plucked from the furnace so to speak to be like hey uh somehow in this society the shit actually does flow upwards so we're gonna <laughs> fire your superior instead of throwing it all on you uh there should be, I feel like, more emotionally for her to kind of go through and then giving us a little bit more time to even sort of bask in this grand sort of almost supervillain like mom rather than like two pages. And then it's like, boom, the heroes are here. It just kind of feels like we're skipping over the most interesting mm-hmm. parts of this transformation. I definitely feel as though we're going to get one of those things where like, you know, she meets her end one way or another, uh, whether it's by actually dying or, you know, there's a moment of decision or something like that. And then we're going to get more of the flashback that explains, you know, what she's going through or something like that. But it's one of those things where like, all right, we've got, you know, we've got to get from point A to point B because this is how Promise Neverland o- operates now. And so duh, here she is. Yeah, so. boom. That is, she's now evil. I know what I guess maybe the most interesting thing from this is that it <clears> probably <throat> makes Ray more relevant to the rest of the story. So, mm. I mean, there's that. What are you talking about? <laughs> I've always been the most popular. I'm the main character. character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about Black Clover then. Page 237. Sheer obstinacy. Uh, I probably pronounced that wrong. I don't care. Uh, they fight the other one, uh, Klaus and, uh, the person with compass magic and friends are fighting against the person Pretty who has, much. yeah, they fight against the mist magic person. And, uh, the only reason I recognize the one person is because she has the compass magic that didn't make a ton of sense, but they give a little backstory that says, Hey, um, some of the elves magic is still in us. And you That's may, such bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you may be opposed to using that magic, but we're going to basically use that strength to protect the kingdom. So, you know, we're going to we're going to use that that power for good. So, Compass Magic Lady is good now. Uh it's a good thing that it's the only magic we see her use in this entire chapter. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did she have other, like, was it not like a perfect one for one? Like, oh, yes, well, the wind magic elf took over a wind magic knight, and the compass magic elf took over a compass magic knight. Um, So we see that Klaus is really beat up because the other guy's magic is too strong, but his will hasn't been broken um and then uh, 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 uh yeah yeah you know sure so i couldn't remember his name i was like yeah yummy you know yabba yabba you know shows up and he blows it all away uh because it's a dude who has missed powers so of course would would just blow it away um and it, it, it 
the the compass magic shows up and i don't know they win they 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 win they beat this guy up <laughs> klaus is like yes i have to be obstinate and stick with it to the end even if i'm not better than anybody else that's what it means to be a magic knight so they win and that's it basically the end of the chapter is the ceiling falls down and we see a tangle of roots with uh william vanchett's kind of tied up within it seemingly defeated mm-hmm. bone magic guys like us oh, so they aren't all dead yet huh yeah so, so, so even vanchett was defeated dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. um which i'm glad about i i have to say i'm glad that this wasn't just like the only you know is strong enough to do anything chapter that there was actual like oh my friends that i care about i work together with some of them to defeat this other mage um but on the other hand i had a really difficult time telling klaus and latoile the compass magic uh, girl apart because they both got glasses and very similar hair so literally as i was watching reading the chapter i was like why does klaus have compass magic <laughs> Why are there two Klauses? How did he get over there so quickly? Oh, are there several? (laughs) Are there several different mages with compass magic? That doesn't sound right. That almost sounds ridiculous. And there's they're all they're all they're all Klaus, like all of them. Uh, Every every compass magic user is Klaus or some variant of him. Uh oh! All right, we're losing Nick for a second, here, guys. Fool of a lord! All right, there we go. We're back. Maybe not. I might have spoken too soon. I think. Can Nick hear me? No, doesn't seem so yet. I think this might be difficult. I think. Uh, oh, oh, for a second there was there. Oh. There we go. I can hear you. You're. Camera is trying to catch up. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. All right, there we go. That's all we need. All right, that should be good enough. All right, One Piece, chapter 969. Fool of a Lord. So we begin where we left off last time. Odin attempting to kill Orochi and cause the entire events of the Wano arc to never happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, 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 that doesn't happen, though, unfortunately. Dang, it turns that out it's pretty crazy. Turns out that in addition to having the previous holder of the clone clone fruit, uh, Orochi also has the previous holder of the barrier barrier fruit helping him out. And so a barrier is summoned that Odin can't cut through and Orochi is completely protected. And he can't he can't stop. So at this moment now that, you know, Odin is separated from him and Orochi kind of reveals some of the stuff that he's been doing in order to uh, grasp power and take over the country and stuff like that. He's like, you know, I I can't be killed. Uh, you know, if this was a problem that anger and violence could solve Odin, then all the daimyos of Wano would have already done it. But uh, and at this moment, everyone thinks, oh. Odin, the great hero, is going to go and save everyone. He's going to put a stop to all of this. He demands that Orochi give up the Shogun seat. And he's like, look, I I never wanted to be the man in charge, but I know I can do better for for this country than you. And Orochi's like, well, you need to know what? 
minutes before that gave me the Shogun's power did not actually contain the Shogun's authority. And at that moment, the old woman takes the form of uh, Kurozumi with the clone clone fruit. And Orochi explains like, yep, this is what I've got helping me out. It was all lies. And so he says, I am under no obligation to cede control to you. At this point, nobody can possibly know what the real Sukiyaki was thinking. And Odin's like, so did my father actually die of illness? What did you, what did you do? And in that moment, as all the crowds are celebrating outside, poisoned arrows struck various people as though from nowhere. Two collapsed, spitting up blood. They both fell blind. And as the townspeople fled indoors, they witnessed, amid the clouds rolling in, the sight of an enormous dragon floating over the capital. He grew from wild child to daimyo of Curry, then went to sea and traveled among the world's greatest pirates, returning many times stronger than when he left. Kozuki Odin returned, invincible and triumphant, and in him the people saw a savior who would rescue them from a cruel tyrant. But within just a few hours, Kozuki Odin was seen, stripped to his loincloth outside of Shogun Orochi's palace, dancing like a fool. And we see just that. Freaking mm-hmm. Odin, like, dancing like a naked idiot. He's got this loincloth that um, has an Odin ingredient on it, written on it. And everyone sees him and they laugh. Uh, and he's going around the street. He begs for spare change and then he leaves. And so the country's final hope is dashed uh, because the person they put their hopes in turned out to be this this fool who subjected himself to all this humiliation. And so there was these tales that were told of him about how, oh, he was this foolish boy who was afraid of snakes. uh, And and he would go dancing through the street. We actually see like, it's put into like a rhyme that uh, children recite while they're like playing jump rope and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's something that he regularly does. He'll go out into the street, he'll dance, he'll bake for scraps, uh, no matter the weather, no matter what's going on. And uh, there are people who, who, you know, his followers are coming to him and are like, hey, tell us what the hell's going on. Why are, why are you doing this? Why are you getting naked and going and begging for money? And he's just like, that's my job. That's what I do. And he refuses to, t- to tell them why he's doing it. Uh, he, he refuses to explain what happened when he went to confront Orochi or anything. Um, so everyone thinks that he's this fool. Even when he goes out into the street normally, he's mocked because they know that what he does on his off days, basically. Uh, and everyone's like, you know, you're not honorable. You know, a real samurai would have killed himself rather than be a lapdog for Orochi. And after a year of this, Odin received a newspaper from abroad and he ran up and down the beach wailing and then laughing and then wailing again. The world was buzzing over the public execution of the King of the Pirates, Gold Roger, and the allure of the vast fortune he'd left behind, the One Piece, sent out all kinds of people on the sea to a treasure hunt. And so Odin is looking over this story and he is crying and laughing at once. And you you were a wonderful man who led such a life. And uh, then, you know, there are other stuff. There's other stuff that's happening in the world. Uh, Gekko Moria battles with Kaido's animal kingdom pirates. Uh, the grave of Ryuma was re- ransacked. And all throughout, Odin danced. And all who associated with Curry's fo- foolish lore were painted with the same brush. And we see the effect that this is having on the people in Odin's life. Because, you know, his family is still with him. And he's actually, like, asking uh, Toki, hey you want to like divorce me? And she's like, no, are you joking? 
His vassals are still hanging out with him. Uh, Yasui is still associating with him. Hyogoro and his wife are still associating with him. And three years pass this way. Four years pass this way. And in the fifth year, Orochi made his move on Kuri. And so Orochi, you know, arrives in this big uh, cart. Uh, Odin bows to him as he appears. And he's like, I would like to build a number of new weapons factories here. And I want your help, Odin. And Odin's like, what about the ships, you know, with, with Kaido? And Orochi says, what do you mean? Wano will be a weapons producer. And as for Hyogoro, he's beyond my means to control, so I gave him to Kaido. He'll probably be dead before long. His old woman clung to him and wouldn't let her go, so they shot her dead. You'd figure a mobster's wife would have more self-control. And Odin starts to get really pissed off at this. And we get word that, you know, Hyogoro was taken away. Multiple of his followers plus his wife died. And as his family and vassals had largely assumed, the great samurai had been shouldering some terrible burden all alone for five long years. And this was the last straw of his perseverance. Great big tears spilled from his eyes as the emotions he'd held back came flooding out all at once. And Odin says, the time has come to strike down Kaido. And all of his remaining vassals all say, that's what we've been waiting to hear you say for all these years. And the narrator says, now gather around and you shall bear witness to the once in a lifetime uproar caused by Kozuki Odin, the man for whom all of Wano wept. With him stood nine men made samurai through his patronage. The hour was sunset, the sun crimson red. It shone like flames upon these men heading into battle and the katanas they wore at their waists burned just as brightly with life. Afterward, in reference to these red scabbards and in honor of this strength and loyalty, people called them the Yakuzaya Nine. Their foe was Kaido. They paid heed to no other. The story of their march is a thing of the past, sadly, and it ends in the public execution of Kazuki Odin. And now, dear audience, let not your eyelids blink lest you miss a single moment of what shall be known as the Hour of Legends. So, uh, best chapter of the week? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very cool chapter. It is, is supremely cool. Uh, I think I might have been wrong by saying that I think we were only two chapters left of this flashback. We might have a little bit more, uh, but it is it, it has been a very good flashback. It's one of those things where it's like it's it's all set up, really, but it really provides a lot of context for the final end of Odin mm. and also why um, Orochi has been able to maintain power. It's not just the fact that he killed Odin. It's the fact that he, you know, sapped any and all hope from the country that there was anything better coming along for them. Because, of course, we know that Wano was an isolated country this whole time. Uh, So nobody other than Odin is going to come and save them. And when he removes that possibility, then what are they going to do? And, of course, it's not a matter of Odin was overpowered. It's just that he had no way of protecting all the people close to him. Um, we don't have that completely spelled out for us in this chapter, but presumably, you know, the people getting arrows stuck in them and Kaido showing up and all that stuff. Odin can't be everywhere in the country at once to protect the people that are important to him. Uh, you know, like Hyogoro's family, like Yasuie, his vassals, his wife and kids, that kind of thing. Um, and so instead he decides to bear the entire burden himself in order to try and protect them all. And then fucking Orochi 
asshole that he is goes back on his promise not to hurt any of them. And uh, so he's like, all right, fuck it. Going to go to war with this guy and I'm going to kill him. Yeah. And uh, as we know, it didn't work out so well. So It's very sad, but uh, a supremely good chapter. <sighs> so that is going to do it for the week's manga. Sorry, that was a long chapter to talk about because wow, it's a dense chapter. So, um, favorites of this week, MVP and uh, favorite series. Um, I did like the chapter One Piece. I don't know if it's going to be my winner. I think mine is going to be Doctor Stone, just because mm-hmm. of how cool it was for that moment when you see the drone shoot up into the air. It was definitely a really big surprise, and I like, and I definitely like that. And One Piece is it for me. Uh, going through it a second time made me realize, Jesus, just like really effective. Doctor Sun has the big moment of triumph, and this is awesome. But One Piece has a very different, like, negative quality to it. But it's mm-hmm. still like this is really big. So, yeah. Uh, my MVP. There weren't a ton of really good picks this week. In so, terms of character moments, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm going to give it to somebody who I, at least, I think at least kind of stood out, and that's twice from My Hero Academia. I just thought mm. it was... I, I really like that there's this moment that he kind of shares with Hawk where he's just like, you're a really great guy. Like, he's <laughs> he's just this dude who's like... I mean, he's kind of evil, but hey, he's, buddy. Like, yeah, he's like, you're a great guy, man. Like, I don't know. It was just like a really fun chapter for him, and he kind of stood out from it. It really makes me kind of realize how much... Like, I know he's a... a poor deadpool joke basically but he's kind of better than deadpool in that way because he fits more into his universe and doesn't break everything yeah Yeah. and he's not as try hard (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah, I'm I'm there with you in terms of like kind of not very good choices all, all the way around so I'm actually going to go with Mash from Mashal. Okay. Because yeah. um, I feel as though without him in that, that, ch- that chapter would not have been nearly as good. No. Um, with, you know, the the ti- the comic timing that it was provided with him and stuff. Like I said, definitely gives me vibes of like One Punch Man. And I really hope that there is more of the series than just kind of like aping that sense of comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, the audience picked Spy Family as their chapter of the week and the handler from Spy Family as the MVP of the week. It was a good speech that she had and she looked really cool. So I get that. I had to stop because I realized I, I thought there was a character called Handler. And I was like, oh, that's just what her title is. That's not actually the character name. <laughs> we don't know her name. Right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap here on twitch.tv slash where we record the show sometime around 7.30 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time each week. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter to know the, exactly when we're going to start the show, when Chris sends out the It Begins GIF or whatever. At Demora Podcast, at RoloT, at Nick F. Time are our mm-hmm. Twitter accounts. You can check out our past episodes of Weekly Manga Recap at podbean.com. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes as well. Leave a comment and rating to help us rise to the top of the hobby section and dethrone the woodworkers. If you want to send us feedback, ask us questions, suggest future manga for us to read, be sure to visit the Weekly Manga Recap Discord server. Uh, there's a lot of different chat rooms on there. We can discuss the suggestion that we're currently working through, which in this case is currently Mob Psycho 100. Uh, you can talk about the week's manga with people and all that stuff. And uh, you can also get a link to the uh, Weekly Manga Recap Google Doc, where 
uh, votes for MVP and best series of the week are conducted on there by uh, NJX3I, who also has a Twitter account, WMR Votes, where you can uh, find links to that stuff. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. You guys allow us to great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We recently recorded a showdown, which should be posted relatively soon. And uh, we're going to be recording some more stuff uh, for you guys to check out soon. Yep. Special thanks as well go out to Steve Manor Talcarist, to Infamous Planet for the frame for the video stream, to Milo Jackstilitz and Wizardel Cheddar for creating the opening sequence for Bikimonger Recap. And that's going to do it. All right. We're gone. Away with us now. Off to the shadow realm with us. That got progressively worse as you were going through. <laughs> Off what? with our heads. Uh, the, um... <laughs> I'll get you and your little dog too. That's actually a little bit better. So. Uh, I'm going to bite your dick off. Okay, now it's, now it's dog. Uh, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>